Welcome to the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. Every episode is titled, It Starts With Tennis and Goes From There. We talk with coaches, club managers, industry business professionals, technology experts, and anyone else we find interesting. We want to have a conversation as long as it starts with tennis. Hey, hey, this is Sean with the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. We are in the Rejuvenate studio in Buford, Georgia, and this episode is our conversation with Mike Imbernone from Signature Tennis Courts. They are a court construction and maintenance company based in the metro Atlanta area, but are also a go-to provider of equipment for HOAs, country clubs, state and local parks. Somewhere in here, Mike drops a bomb about pickleball, so let us know what you think. Here we go. Mike is nice enough to come with us and chat a little bit, is from uh, Signature Tennis and builds all of our tennis courts in the Atlanta area, at least according to me and Bobby, he builds all the tennis courts in Atlanta and repairs them, thankfully, as well. So I am, I am sure there are competitors out there, but uh, Mike is the guy we go to. And so, Bobby, do me a favor. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship? I think you have Mike's guys at your courts right now, right? I believe so. We have somebody's working on the lights and we're still getting some windscreens put up. So yes, poor, poor Mike, as we like to joke about Windermere, you know, it's a, it's a tough business, the court business in Atlanta, because the soil, everybody says, you know, you get between three and five years between refurbishings and it, it Windermere, we're always on the, the low side of that. And I try to explain to people, it's like, well, take a look around you. The only place flat in this entire neighborhood are the tennis courts. So chances are this is Phil. <laughs> and probably less than five miles away, there's a quarry that sends up, you know, does underground explosions twice a day. So if you That's think true. that these courts, you know, we're, we're pretty lucky to have them the way they are, considering what these poor courts have to go through. So, yeah, we keep Mike busy. And, and we're also known yeah. for a decent weather storm that goes through during the summertime, which will knock down some windscreens. So it's an interesting place. It sits up on a hill. So we get all the bad weather. But I think, Mike, how long yeah. it's been, you were, how long ago did you leave Southeastern? 18 years ago. Okay, so that now we're getting scary because probably he had just, Mike had just left Southeastern. I was speaking with somebody at Southeastern and, and somebody else said, hey, you probably need to speak with this gentleman named Mike Imbernone. He just left Southeastern and I called Mike and I don't think I've, speaking, I've spoken to Southeastern since. So, you know, we were, we did white columns together where I was at white yeah. columns for 14 years. Mike was my go-to guy. And that was a, another fun, the, the idea of the, a successful tennis program was there, was not hearing about it. So again, a lot of pressure on Mike to make sure that what we had looked and played very good. So Mike, tell us, and I know you, you have a bit of a playing background. How did you get into the business? Yeah. So I, uh, was a player uh the uh, grew up playing junior tennis in georgia um went on a full scholarship to georgia southern and played for four years and um so anyway so tennis is tennis is my background and the way that i ended up getting into the tennis court construction business was i ran a small little club um by the name of Brittany, which is down behind Oglethorpe College. I grew up there, and then after I graduated, I was managing that little little club there and, and teaching at some other places. And I used to buy equipment from Southeastern Tennis and um, 
uh, would go down to Virginia Highlands where they were to pick up a net or whatever and just ask the owner that was sitting behind the desk one day if he needed a salesperson. And he said, I was whatever I was, 21 years old. And he said, sure, kid. And he threw me a bunch of catalogs and said, have at it. You know, I'll pay you 10% or whatever you sell. And so I would, you know, run, I'd teach some lessons and then I'd, you know, run to the clubs and so forth in between and apartment complexes. And it was an easy, easy entry for me because, I grew up playing tennis in the um, in the area. A lot of the pros, older pros, you know, obviously at this point knew me and so forth. So it was a kind of an easy entry into kind of into that world for me. And your brother plays as well, correct? He does. He he does. Uh, he, he didn't take it as seriously as, as as I did. Didn't didn't play college tennis or anything, but he certainly did played and he played on the you know in the juniors and so forth like it did. So after Georgia Southern, you come, you, you're teaching a little bit. We, we start gravitating to the court business. So you've pretty much during that time span witnessed where tennis has become part of the culture of Atlanta and the way a subdivision is built. The necessity for at least two lighted tennis courts and, uh, you know, a bathroom so they could be out to certified. How do you get approached by, a, do you work with builders directly? Do they come to you after the fact? How does that work with some of the, the bigger builders that you've dealt with in the city? Yeah, so the you're absolutely correct. I mean, at the time that I got into the business, the, you know, the, the market, which is now 38 years ago, had just begun where tennis courts started popping up in, neighborhoods and who the first builder was that did it i'm not sure you know you have where i was in Brittany. there was certainly you know there were six tennis courts there which was unusual back in the day and then a few other ones briarcliff woods and maybe leafmore creek and there's a few other older older neighborhoods but you know whoever the builder was that started it and you know how things go with competition decided to put tennis courts in a swimming pool kind of in a neighborhood to get things going and other builders just followed as Atlanta you know started to you know really develop um and that's that's kind of the way that it went and as far as that you know the builders go absolutely I mean they would at the time when I was you know uh, just a salesperson there was three companies there was you know southeastern tennis and Talbot, who's under different ownership now, and then um, Crawford Construction, that was done by Bill Shippey. So the three, those three companies were, you know, present in Atlanta when tennis started to evolve into the neighborhoods and so forth, um, uh, you know, it, it, in our area here. Fantastic. So now, where, how did you do, how did uh, COVID treat you to get through that? Uh, from a court building standpoint? Yeah, I mean, what, how were you affected by the, you know, the couple of months shutdown and then the revitalization once COVID, you know, yeah. tennis was identified as a safe haven? Yeah, it was kind of interesting how it all, uh, all, all played out for us. We were in the middle of, you know, numerous projects. So, you know, just like everyone initially, you know, we were not allowed to work at any of the facilities that, excuse me, that we were in the middle of jobs on. But fortunately, um, it was 
short-lived and you know we ended up on some projects where they soon you know we were working for general contractors and so forth and they you know got um uh letters of of um uh you know uh acceptance for us to be able to come and work on the sites and so forth so fortunately we were only sidelined for a short period of time where we really couldn't do you know any of the projects that we're in the middle of now of course it affected you know the clubs and the neighborhoods and so forth you know dramatically where they pretty much just shut down we did have some that took advantage of the fact that there were no players on the courts and had us do work but at most they pretty much just banned everyone from being there, including ourselves. So, um, but it turned, it turned pretty quickly. I mean, it was, it was a short lived, um, you know, uh, problem for us. And then we were able to start working again. And forgive me. Cause as Sean said, we've had a relationship for a long time and, and I think overlooking yep. something important How, when people reach out to you, what is in the capacity? Usually what is their first interest in signature? I mean, obviously I know, it's through courts and then you i get all my stuff through you do what is what is the usually the first reach out is it court equipment or is court resurfacing court building what what do people reach out to you to discuss first that's kind of a good question it's a because we service so many different type of clients i mean it's very varied it's there's not there's not really you know one answer for that i mean some know us really as a construction company first because obviously we build entire tennis centers and we own all of our own construction equipment and pavement equipment and graders and all that. And that's how they know us. And that's what they're calling us for when there is a new, a new, a new project. And that, that, that would fall, I'm going to say, in the category of general contractors where a new South construction is has a Rome tennis center on the books or something like that, they all know us as a construction company. I mean, you know, um, and then when it comes to the country clubs, it's very varied. You know, all of them know that we, you know, or, you know, take care of and build, you know, clay tennis courts, which are in the country clubs, of course, as well as the hard courts. But, most of them also get all of their court equipment from us. So, you know, it, it could easily be, you know, a phone call for uh, as little as, hey, Mike, we got a problem with our center anchor and we got a match tomorrow. Can you get somebody down here to fix it for us so we can use the court? Or it could be, you know, hey, we're, uh, we need, you know, two of our courts completely torn out and we need you to come down here and get us an estimate to rebuild it. So, you know, the country club market is, they know us as, uh, I'm going to call it, say, you know, a full service, you know, company. Um, the neighborhoods, most of that business comes through these days, the management companies, because most of the neighborhoods are managed through a management company, just like yours is, Bobby. So, and that um, they're, they're going to know us more as, you know, a company that refurbishes, resurfaces courts as well as replaces windscreens and does all that. A lot of them don't even know we're a construction company because it's very rare that a management company 
gets involved in a construction project. It happens, but it doesn't happen often that they're involved with that. Every now and then you'll have a neighborhood that older neighborhood that's rebuilding courts, but I'm going to say most of them don't know that because it's not something that they have to deal with. You know, it's, it's a rarity. Uh, and then the rest of our clients would be, you know, private homeowners and, and, uh, and uh, you know, some apartment complexes and so forth. And that really varies too, depending on where they got um, our name from. We do, we're a little unique from the standpoint that we are hard to find. If you go on the internet or you go to try to find us um, on the web, we don't put any effort into that. Um, you know, it's not that you can't find signature tennis, but we don't, we're not spending any, you know, any time, any resources, um, you know, trying to advertise to the public. All of our business comes through referrals. So depending on who you got your referral from, would really depend on what you were looking for, you know, that would kind of initiate that first call, you know. And you've brought it up, but we've done some wild stuff together at, at Wycoms. We literally, what did we raise two courts up? How many inches do we have to raise that court up to make uh, it six playable? That. <laughs> yeah, that's so right. There's, there's yeah, was various levels yeah. that, that go into how, how much are you and I know you're involved in it, obviously, because we've done it. But tell us about how the clubs are going to the LED lighting and, and what that plays a role in what you're doing. Yeah, that's kind of been a um, very interesting um, uh, phenomenon. I mean, you know, for 30, been doing this 38 years. And for the first 34 years, lighting didn't change at all and when i say not at all i mean really not at all it was everything was metal halides it was all the same technology you know people would try to tweak it here and there but it was a small tweak one way or another it was basically all the same so what everybody had for the most part same lighting maybe a little different layout but it all was identical for the most part so led shows up on the market i'm going to say in earnest, in, in, in the tennis industry, we did the first project at Dunwoody Country Club about six to seven years ago, where we got approached by our manufacturer and they were convinced that they had the LED, you know, kind of down pat. And, you know, I kind of trusted them that they did. And, but I should have known better as a contractor. That's never the case in our industry. We're, the contractors are always kind of the, the, the test market and the guinea pigs because our, our, our industry is so small that nothing gets tested before it ends up at a club. So we put it in at Dunwoody Country Club as a test, two courts. We put it in at no charge for them just to see what would happen. And it was, I'm gonna, I'll just be honest, it was an epic fail. Uh, it was not ready to be on the market. There were constant problems. And we went you know, worked with our manufacturer for probably a year and a half trying to work all the bugs out. And uh, I'm going to say, you know, four years, four years ago, they got it right. And then many other kind of followed after that. So now <clears throat> kind of fast forwarding, there are many companies that have, 
you know, uh, a good LED product out there. Some are out of the tennis industry. Some have nothing to do with the tennis industry that market into any industry, including tennis. And um, it's now become a, a regular thing where we're converting you know, metal halide fixtures or redoing systems uh, from metal halide into LED. So it's, um, it, 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 it's, it's fantastic for the end user and for the clubs um, because, you know, the performance of the fixtures is, is not even a comparison to the, to the old metal halide. I mean, the lighting is so much better. Players can see under it so much better. Obviously, they're way more energy efficient. Um, the maintenance on them is a fraction of what the, the old um, metal halide is. From our standpoint, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, you know, it's a industry has become, when I say competitive, it, that's an understatement. I mean, the fixtures now are sold at close to cost. I mean, you know, uh, because everybody used to it was kind of interesting in in tennis lighting it was difficult to get anybody to service you years ago except the tennis court contractor was the only one if you called an electric company they didn't want to have anything to do with it just just pain in their neck didn't want to deal with it now everybody's into led and it's kind of interesting there's so many different types of led fixtures on the market kind of driven virtually all the profit out of it um yet uh, you know, they, they have incredible warranties on them. So like I said, from the end user, it's fantastic. For the contractor, we do it because we need to do it. We want the relationships with the club. <laughs> it's kind of a crazy market that we're in. The, you know, all the profit is, is ba basically profitless at this point, which is kind of a nutty thing. You know, it's still a new, pretty new technology still. So in that case, it would be like, sorry for jumping in, it'd be like creating a tennis court that doesn't need any maintenance anymore, right? That's right. I mean, you know, that, that's the other crazy part is, is that, you know, there's really no, there is no money, you know, to be made on maintenance because they come with these, you know, fantastic warranties on them. Um, and, um, but like I said, from a, from a tennis player standpoint and from the club standpoint, best thing that's ever happened because. Oh my gosh. The, so the ability, fun. yeah, the ability to, to flip a light on and flip it off and have it turn on and turn off at that time. Only tennis players know what that's like to walk onto a tennis court, flip the light on, wait 10 minutes for them to warm up. And then if the lights go out, God forbid the light go out in the middle of your match, then you got another 15 right. minutes to turn them off and turn them back on. It, I remember the first time I saw them, I flipped them on, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. I know, no, you're right. It's a, it is a big thing, the instant on and off is a major, major deal, especially if a timer turns the the fixtures off like you said in the middle of a match you go over and you flip the switch back on you don't have to sit there and and you're being conservative it usually takes more like 20 minutes yeah. you know for those lights to come back on a metal halide you know so you're right it's a it's a it's a major major win for the you know for the clubs uh to have the led it's and and it's in these days it's rare that um, you know, a club is getting a, uh, a product that is, has a lot of problems. Initially, there were, in the beginning, just like everything, a lot of junk got put up. But now, even the ones that are coming, you know, from a different industry, 
they're not the best out there, but they're way better than the metal halides that they're being, you know, that they're replacing. So virtually everyone that's getting new LEDs is very pleased with what they're getting. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give Mike a little props here because this is where I don't think he gives himself enough credit. Having gone through that journey with him and Mike, when did we start? I think we were, we started probably three years ago in our journey to convert them all to led lights. And we not only have converted, but we raised our poles, uh, which I think is a big deal. And we went gone to other subdivisions and because we were a neighborhood HO driven with a management company, we were required to get more than one bid, even though, you know, at the time I was very close with the particular manager and we were, pretty confident unless somebody came back and just blew us away. We knew that we were going to go with Mike and, and it's in Mike we trust. And it's, it's that relationship that makes the process that much easier. Cause you hate to say it, the end user themselves takes it for granted. They, they love it. Like you said, they turn the switch on and say, wow, this is great. If there's a problem, then everybody finds out about it. So as the person who's implementing a new technology, you do have to rely on and you do rely on the relationship you had. And it, it did make the, the whole process entirely easier having the relationship with Mike, knowing Mike from not only from a perspective, this is what he does, but he's a player. He knows a little bit of nuances. I literally had a salesman tell me, oh, these lights are okay. And we can tilt them to kind of get the back corner. What, what tilt, you know, we're going to rig LED. I'm spending, you know, $60,000 and we're, we're talking about tilting lights to get a corner, not, not what I wanted to hear. So it, it's, it's a nice circumstance when you go in and you're working with somebody that you trust and they, they help you walk through the process. So I think, you know, it might not be making a money, but it, the trust and the, and what he's built out throughout his years in the industry is, you know, we all thank you for it. <laughs> well, and it's it, doing is, is, um, you know, only been done at a few other clubs. I mean, as a matter of fact, it's the only neighborhood I can think about that went the extra mile to, you know, bring the light poles, to spend the money to bring the light poles up to 27 feet, which means basically taking the entire system out yeah. and putting new poles, then it turns into a construction project, not just a retrofit, you know, project. You, you know, Dunwoody Country Club did it, Ansley's done it, Capital City's done it, but you know, as far as neighborhood to go, Windermere is the only one I can think of that that has done that. And the reason that there's an advantage to that is, is when you go up that extra from 23 feet to 27 feet, you can put a much more powerful LED fixture up that allows you to give you much more light. If you were to try to put that same fixture up at a mounting height of 23 feet, which is what the metal headlight was at, there would be hot spots all over it. The lighting yes. would be too powerful, too hot in areas, and really the court would not be playable. So, um, you know, Windermere was gone the extra. And we, we enjoy that type of, you know, work where, you know, it's it's a little bit of a challenge, you know, to take it all out. And it turns, like I said, it turns into a construction project, not just to you know, take the fixtures off and put new fixtures on. So, you know, you, you've gotten them to, to do the best, really. I mean, what, what could be done out there? And it is fun. Like Mike says, I mean, we literally had huge poles all over the, I mean, it looked like a construction site all over again, but the, the funny part is, and, and I, you'll I'll be wondered to see, like we have a, a fairly decent sized affluent neighborhood right across the street who went to LEDs first, but didn't go the extra. And now they come over and play at ours and they're miserable at going back to their house because, Oh, you know, what a difference raising the poles. Well, getting that's the extra what I light. tell people. 
Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, what I tell people is when, you know, they talk to me about it, because there's so many choices like in this industry. And I said, no matter what you pick these days, you're going to be happy in this. There is no question about it. I, at this point, I can feel confident. There are people putting up fixtures that are less than 50% as powerful as the ones we're selling. And they're still way better than the metal halide. I said, the difference is this, is that in five years or 10 years, when everybody has LED, then you're going to look at it and say, you know what? Our LEDs are not that great compared to a Windermere or a Dunwoody Country Club. I said, that's the difference. I mean, that's, that's what you, you know, but initially you're going to be happy as to be, no matter what you pick, because right. they're that much, the technology is that much better. It just is, you know? Well, Sean, I, I've, I've used up mine. I think we probably, sh I should have waited on Roddick, but that's always been one of my favorite, just sitting there with John and, and watching poor Mike have to go through this on a night we were supposed to be enjoying ourselves <laughs> and, and how it became confrontational. But like you said, everybody's kind of aware of that that can happen in a Roddick situation. And maybe some of his other hijinks will come up later in some other podcasts if we get the right person on. But uh, anything that you want to point in Mike's direction? Yeah, I actually wanted to ask about the the tennis court industry as as well specifically because as a as a vendor, I'm curious. So, Mike, are you are you a guy that can actually answer the question that I can't seem to find an answer to, which is how many tennis courts are actually in the metro Atlanta area? Yeah, well, at, at one time, and I don't know who had the answer, uh, you know, way back when, but I'm going to say about 15 years ago. 12 to 15 years ago, there was about 10,000. So now my best guess would be that there was somewhere between, uh, I would guess between 15 and 20,000 courts in Metro Atlanta. Yeah. And that's just a crazy number. And I think it's fun. And I don't know how, like, I, I obviously you check, you check the Googles and you say, okay, well, Google knows everything, right? How many tennis courts are there? It's like, well, in Atlanta, there are 441 tennis courts. I'm like, no, that's, that, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> that's not, I know for a fact that's not accurate, but I haven't actually counted them. So it's an interesting thought in, in my world to be able to say, okay, there are potentially 20,000 tennis courts in Atlanta. I know for a fact, Mike doesn't, you can't, you can't possibly, if all of those tennis courts needed fixing, you, there's no bandwidth. Like, there's no single guy that can go out and fix all the tennis courts. Oh, no, so, no, 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 no. And, you know, in Atlanta's kind of an interesting market from in our industry. It's, I tell people that the I've been in a lot of places, include the U.S. Open, inspected their tennis courts. The Atlanta market is... We, we have more tennis court contractors here than 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 in any other city in the world, really. Um, and you know, there's three of us. There's four of us that are capable of building a tennis center. That's very unusual in one city. And then there's probably another ten companies that can do resurfacing and that kind of stuff. So tremendous number of, but you know, the numbers support it. You know, because once you just look at Atlanta, you start expanding, you know, you start going out 60, 90 miles into places like, you know, uh, Rome and Macon and, you know, you start going out, you know, east toward Augusta and so forth. There's a tremendous uh, Columbus, big tennis community, tremendous amount of, you know, tennis courts. So my point was, though, 
I mean, I would venture to say that the quality of tennis court coatings and the way things get done here with finished product is probably some of the very best in the world because, because of competition, everyone's gotten pushed. I mean, you know, um, and there's, you go to other places and you look and as a tennis court contractor, especially you're like, Oh my gosh, you can't believe at the U S open, they get away with that. They have fuzzy lines out here. How can they have fuzzy lines at the U S open? (laughs) It's like, how's that possible? You know? So the, you know, everybody takes it for granted because that's all they, they, they know. And most of the people just play here, but it's not the quality that is here because of the amount of competition is really tremendous here. And I, I love that answer because that's, that's, that's right up my, that's how my brain works. Like if there's competition, quality increases. And I, and I think that's fantastic. No We're all, all pushing each other. People that don't want competition don't want to get better because yeah. There's very few people on their own that are going to push themselves to do better and be better if somebody's not pushing you. You know if what I mean? We all inherently are going to be a little lazy because we, we can be. But here you can't be lazy. I mean, in Atlanta, it's in this area because this is the biggest, probably the biggest tennis market in the world. Um, you know, you, you have to be good. I mean, that's all there is to it. You have to be. And I, do, I, I have one more question. I can't believe I, I, we almost didn't go in this direction. Mike, what do you see as far as the going towards the pickleball? Obviously, we were probably unique in that we turned two tennis courts into six pickleball courts. We just didn't do the double lines. We changed them. What is, right. the, what is your business like with the, the growth of pickleball's popularity? Yeah, and we could have an entire podcast on this. Uh, the... <laughs> The it's the deal. We'll see you tomorrow. Off the, <laughs> off, off the chain. I mean, and when I say off the chain, we are doing something pickleball every day at this point. I mean, every day that we work doing um, something pickleball. So whether we're converting courts into permanent courts, whether we're just striping courts for you know somebody on existing tennis court, or whether we're building new courts, new facilities, it's, um, the, the growth is, it's astronomical how, how much we're doing, uh, with pickleball. I'm going to, I'm going to just say that at this point, it's probably 20 to 25% of our business, which is, I mean, I, it, it, it's hard for me to even imagine that that could have ever been true, that another game like pickleball or whatever it would be, could you know could grow like that but that's the way it's going that's awesome and scary and yes let's let's do the pickleball conversation yeah i mean the thing that i think is um uh refreshing in my mind or makes me feel good about it is that you know most of the tennis players that you know convert into pickleball or playing pickleball most are still tennis players but what you know and and, you know talking to a lot of a lot of pros they're using pickleball to get people that don't have the best racket skills and so forth and are not the best athletes out on a court where they're learning you know eye hand coordination and racket skills and they're having success 
quickly. And then, you know, they're converting them over to the tennis court and, um, you know, they become kind of dual players or whatever you want to call it. And it's much more comfortable for them. So that's very encouraging to me because I just the number of participants of people getting their their fannies out and doing something active and moving because of that game has increased exponentially. It's just it's unbelievable to be honest with you. It's just unbelievable. I like that. We've had a we had a similar bunch of questions coming in saying, "What about the kids? Does it help?" some of the kids that might have an easier time hitting the ball a little closer to themselves, you know, a little easily convertible from ping pong, a little smaller stick to hit the ball with. So it's, it's fun to see the, the in combination because we have conversation with pickleball people, with league people. Hey, what is this going to be? Where are all the courts going to be? What's the next thing? Like what actually happens with all these pickleball courts in talking to Alta and other pros and saying, Hey, what, what is the next thing here, and where should where should all of us where should we be? We want to talk to everybody about that and hearing that the courts are from you that are literally being built and striped and converted really just confirms those numbers of how popular pickleball really is right now. Well, and the other thing is is that you know you, courts that were we'll just call them abandoned or used so seldomly in a lot of counties and cities that are like outlying areas when you get outside of quote unquote metro atlanta where they'd have a bank of two or four six and nobody was using them i mean you know like abandoned and they will contract us to come in and convert them into pickleball courts and the place is booming you know with people out you know using using the courts or they'll take two of four and, you know, convert, convert them into like Bobby's uh, neighborhood did. And, and we'll have six pickleball courts and two tennis courts. So it, what it does is, I mean, it's just increased the number of, of people that feel comfortable going out and getting involved in a racket sport um, because it's easier. Let's face it. I mean, it's, it's an easy, it's an easy, it's the entry. So we, I mean, I'm not telling y'all anything y'all know better than I do, but it, it's just a simple thing for them to do. So counties, cities, I mean, you know, uh, school districts, I mean, you name it, they're spending the money clubs. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, how we're, we'll give you an example here. I mean, this Bob, if you guys don't know this, this is going to blow your mind. Capital city. Okay. Full all the time, 11 clay courts have to send, you know, the draw straws to see who has to go to Blackburn this season to go, you know, play out there because they don't have enough clay courts. They have us taking one of the clay courts out right now and converting it into four hard pickleball courts because Ooh. the demand's so high at the club for it. You know? And, you know, if somebody said that to me, like, that's impossible. That would never ever happen <laughs> and here we are taking out a premium tennis court to put in pickleball courts that says a lot it's it's a ton i mean you know it's a and you know the thing is is that the if you know if it's em, embraced and done in the right way i think it just you know the two games will complement each other i mean you know it, it's uh, i think a lot of the pushback 
um, has gone away at this point because there are so many tennis players that now are playing pickleball that, you know, in the beginning, you know, we'd almost get rocks thrown at us. I mean, at places where we strike pickleball lines or do something pickleball by the tennis players. And now we don't, we don't, the, we don't feel the pushback at all, really, because I think so many tennis players are also playing the game, you know. And just like everything else, it just takes time. We settle in. We realize this is going to happen. It's going to naturally convert. But like you guys said, when we converted, trust me, we were watching those pickleball courts because we were ready for the fallback. We're like, oh, boy, this better catch on. Yeah. And then the other night, literally, I was sitting with one of the guys who was a big player, but he was playing tennis, and we looked down, and all six of our pickleball courts were going. And we were like, well, we need yeah. more. And it was a good feeling because it was – well, we were right. You know, we, That answers we that. Our, we stuck to our guns. We, we heard a few complaints in the beginning, but we were right. And, you know, I think you're going to continue to see the sport grow. I think it, what, what Mike's talks to, and we, we all know, they're certainly used properly. Unfortunately, a lot of the, te- the problems with tennis and the, the pushback are systemic, that the, the way the game is promoted, the way our, our organizations position ourselves. So we look at pickleball when it comes in. It's cannibalizing a product. Tennis is having a hard enough time. Why do we want to just share with somebody and then we don't look at it and say, well, it could be a great, forget about everybody focuses on the seniors. It says it's an easier game. They don't have to run as much. It's a great way to introduce a paddle sport. As you said, the, the rocket's closer to you. It doesn't require the same amount of eye hand coordination. You're not having to run. So it's a great initial introduction to tennis as well, if done properly. So, you know, now that it's being embraced more, hopefully we'll see more crossover and I, I think it'll help both of the sports in the long run, for sure. I do too. I mean, I, that's that's the way I that's the way I see it because I I think that most tennis professionals, you know, realize it's you know here to stay, and you know the smart ones like you, Bobby, are embracing it and using it to help you know in, increase you know the programming and so forth instead of looking at it as competition to it. I mean. Some of the pros are teaching a lot of pickleball at this point, and I mean they love they love doing it. I mean, you know, it's they they go from the tennis court right to the pickleball court and running drills and so forth on the pickleball court. And you know, it's it's uh, you know, I think initially everybody thought nobody is going to pay to you know take lessons and drills and so forth, but that's not true. I mean, I, I I'm talking to the clubs all the time, the directors and so forth, and it's they that people will i mean people will will pay to have a good time and enjoy themselves and get better at anything i mean if it's done right i mean you know so i i think it's i i think that the two you know are going to at least in this market are going to coexist uh very very nicely i i don't i don't i don't see it as an issue at all that's good and I, I, we like we like talking to to you mike because as the the guy who everybody calls to fix their tennis courts, you get to talk to guys like Bobby. You get to talk to the one neighborhood doing it right with the lights, besides just the guys who run the big country clubs. But you get to talk to everybody. You find their pain points. You find what their next thing is, what they really want. And you're kind of that, I don't want to want to say fly on the wall because you're not hiding. You're right there. But you're the guy coming in, fixing some things that they need, but also we get to talk tennis with you because you also get it. Uh-oh, did we lose him? I lo- we lost yeah. him, yeah. Okay, I th- is he, he's, you're back, Mike? 
I'm here. I got okay. you. I got you, Bobby. Okay. Oh, good. I like it. Sorry about that. But I want I wanted to ask you, Mike, because we'll and we'll let you go because we're we're at our at our time where we start uh, start just talking amongst ourselves. Um, but I had two questions. One is my king of tennis question, which I want to ask. But I also want to find out from you. You said you do zero mar- zero marketing, zero advertising. You you don't promote. I just checked your website. You're you're still working on it, which means it doesn't exist. So what what is it that you need as a business? What do you want? If somebody came to you and said, hey, I could help your business. Obviously, we don't know what that is. But for you on your end, is there, are you just, you have everything you want and everybody calls you, you have all the business you could possibly need? Or is there more for you that you would like to see coming in? What would you want as a, as a vendor in the Atlanta area? Well, I mean, it's not, I'm not uh, necessarily looking for anything different i should say than than what we have i mean the the mix of business is you know extremely satisfying what we do i mean we you know what we we try to do is is try to work with i mean and this may sound cliche but we try to we try not to work with people that are not not nice and unpleasant <laughs> and we try to work with all the pleasant great people i mean you know that are out there and fortunately in in our industry the majority of everybody that we get to work with falls in that category but if we run across somebody that's unpleasant i tell kathy i'm like you know what we don't we none of us need that life's too short i mean i don't care if they can bring us extra business we want the nice people you know the people that treat us with respect we treat them with respect so I, I wouldn't change anything about our clientele um, or, you know, different clientele or even more clientele necessarily, because we do have plenty of, of calls coming in constantly, um, you know, internally, would I improve some things? Absolutely. I mean, you know, our efficiency and getting proposals back to people and being more efficient uh, on, on, on small things internally. We do a great job of getting things done outside, you know, in the, in the workforce, you know, where people need that done, but internally it's, it's, it, there's always a, a backlog of <laughs> paperwork and, and things to do that I would change, but that wouldn't, I wouldn't change my, my market, my market mix or my customers or, or even really try to increase them. I, I'm extremely happy with that. That's a great answer. I, I love it. It's nope. Everything's good. Love it. Um, well, as yeah. a customer, you, you, you have to understand and appreciate this man. When you go to a project with him, we live in Metro Atlanta as it is, you know, the traffic issues that exist in, in Metro Atlanta. When you're doing a product, a project with Mike and you see Mike walking around either at you know, and I know him and I'm like, Mike, it's eight o'clock in the morning. What time did you get here? And, you know, it, it just, it makes you feel better outside of the fact he's pretty jacked up. So you wouldn't recognize him as a tennis player because he's got some guns on him. Uh, you know, it, it, it helps us to be working with him because despite the size of Atlanta, the number of courts, the number of projects, he's there. And that just makes you feel better. And we thank you for that, Mike. I appreciate it. I mean, it, it, that's, that's the fun part is getting to see the customers and see the projects and see what you're doing. And, and, and you know, so it, that, that, that's, the, that's the most enjoyable part of the business, you know. So and, and I, any business owner that doesn't get to 
get involved in in their end end product and and so forth. I kind of feel sorry for them. I mean, you know, because that's that's the fun. That's the real fun right there. You know, seeing a satisfied customer in person makes a makes that's a right. huge difference. All right, so so last question, Mike, and we'll, and we'll let you go. Um, I don't know if uh, Bobby prepared you for this one. We like to give people a head start on this question because it's my favorite thing to ask people. But uh, if you were king of tennis, so you're obviously integrated in the tennis world. You played you played tennis growing up. I don't know if you play currently anymore or if you watch tennis on TV. You're definitely integrated into the business of tennis here in Atlanta. Um, and I'm curious if you were king of tennis, either whether it locally internationally wherever is there anything you would change or like to see different about anything tennis related anywhere in the world uh i'll I'll just kind of fall back on what we got into with the pickleball and just um say that i i'm i'm very hopeful that two sports intermingle with each other and complement each other going forward because i think that one way or another sports are going to become you know um integrated and i just kind of uh hope that 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 transition um and the organizations that you know kind of push tennis and so forth and, and control tennis realize that it's it's something that needs to be embraced and um you know i mean you guys kind of know where i'm going with all this but that's the one thing i've been a little little disappointed in i guess that i would like to see change attitudes and so forth about um another another sport that to me is a very complimentary sport that I think is, is helpful, you know, to the, to the tennis industry and not a, not a, it's not competition. That's, that's the way that I, I see it going forward. And I just kind of hope that that's the way that it really does go. That's all. Mike, we appreciate it. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's a conversation we'll have further. I'm sure. Cause Bobby and I are working. Oh, many conversations on that <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i like that the the two sport the pickleball is here to stay and it's got to figure out how to coexist with tennis and it's got to no longer be viewed in that old school way of cannibalizing tennis you know alta's got its problem do they go into go into pickleball leagues and does it does it harm their tennis participation pickleball guys trying to figure out how to do the leagues and how to get the tournaments going and it's going to be here and can they can they live together and that's going to be on us to be able to help the culture of atlanta integrate the new sport that's coming anyway there's 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 no doubt about it i think overall atlanta has done you know a a pretty doggone good job overall i mean you know so it's uh it's just hopefully it just continues going in the right direction you know i think so too Bobby, what else you got? I'm good. I enjoyed it. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much. Oh, I enjoyed it very much, guys. Great, great conversation. This, and I appreciate appreciate you guys inviting me and uh, letting me be a part of what you guys are doing. It's fantastic. I think it's very, very uh, unique and and um, you know going to be very helpful to you know the tennis community for what you guys are doing here.
Well, there you have it. We want to thank Rejuvenate for the use of the studio. Be sure to check out the Rejuvenate Wellness is a Journey podcast at rejuvenate.com forward slash listen. Check out our other episodes at atlantatennispodcast.com. Also, find us at Atlanta Tennis Podcast on social media. Let us know what you think about our conversations, but also click that follow button. Whether you listen to every episode or just want to listen periodically, you can follow in your podcast app, which helps us keep the show going. With that, we're out. See you next time.